Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on Easy Mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Welcome to another episode of Internet Hate Machine. As always, I am joined by my producer, Sophie. Sophie, how are you? Bridget, it's 2023. How are you? I can't believe we made it, girl. I I, it did not seem it. likely. <laughs> but alas, we did it. I'm proud of us. <laughs> we did it. So, Sophie, I have to ask, what is your connection to the Royals? Listen, <laughs> not much except that I really liked Princess Diana when I was like in the seventh and the eighth grade. Super into Princess Diana. And then now it's like you have no choice because the Harry and Meghan's story is everywhere. You cannot scroll. There is no peace. It feels like it's everywhere, especially like the Netflix special. Harry's memoir, Spare, drops this week. He's speaking to Anderson Cooper in like two days, too, for like an hour-long interview thing. I'm like, my guy is out there. <laughs> so I'm kind of like you. Like, I am a casual, it, I have a very casual interest in the royals. And that's why I'm really, really excited to be joined by Ellie Hall. Ellie is a senior reporter at BuzzFeed and just an overall very cool human. And she knows so much about the royals from covering them immensely. Ellie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I remember the first, we were just talking about this off mic. The first time that I met you in person was at a Digital Void event here in D.C. And I was a little drunk, but I was also like mildly starstruck. I was like, oh my God, that's Ellie Hall. I, I remember heaping like, effusive praise on you and your work to the point where I was like, she probably thinks I'm very drunk, but it was very sincere. I just sounded like it was it was drunk talk. It was like very sincere talk. To, to be fair, I was a little drunk too. I will, I will say that. I'll say that on record. But uh, no, because like I, I, I were mutuals on Twitter. So I was like, oh my God, it's you. That's great. And, um, I, you know, I, I'm really proud of all the royal reporting that I've done. So it, it, it was very nice of you. Just generally, how did you come to be someone who covered the royals? I didn't really start following it a whole bunch until William and Kate got married. I feel like that was the big sort of thing in 2011 that was a reset of the royal family and we're in a new era. 
So um, I, I followed it since then. And when I started at BuzzFeed in 2013, and I cannot believe I have been there 10 years now. <laughs> Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. A long time. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. Thank you. Um, nobody else cared about the royal family. So it was sort of like, who's reporting on the royal family? This girl. Yeah. And it's just sort of, I, I've continued reporting on it for all these years since. And it's gotten, uh, when I, when, you know, when I started, I had no idea how to even contact the palace for comment and stuff like that. And, you know, now I'm, I'm like in, I get the press releases and everything and I know the spokespeople, but it, it took a while to get to like royal reporter level. I'm sure some people listening are like, oh, the royal family, that's just fluff. Like, who cares? Celebrity gossip, whatever. But it really does tell us a lot about gender, class, race, all of these things that are so deeply embedded in our society. I think that coverage of the royal family and kind of coverage of the coverage, how is the media framing them? What does it tell us? Can really say so much about these deeper, thornier issues that we all grapple with every day. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And that's what makes following the royal family, particularly now, really interesting because you can tell a whole lot about society like there. So there was uh, this this just happened. A UK columnist named Jeremy Clarkson wrote uh, a column about Meghan Markle or she's Meghan the Duchess, Meghan the Duchess of Sussex. And he was criticizing her because of Harry Meghan's recent Netflix show. And he said some horrible things. He said, like, he wanted her to walk naked through a screaming crowd and have people throwing excrement like on her. the Game of Thrones shame thing is right. That's that guy. Yeah, that, that's what he said. But at the same time, like, who was your editor, my dude? Like, right? who let that get into right? the paper? Yeah. And watching people, watching people who defended it, saying like, oh, it's a Game of Thrones reference. And then watching other people be like, are, 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 are we on the same page here? Like, <laughs> yeah. what's going, is, how yeah. is this appropriate? So like watching the reaction to that, was really interesting because you see the different levels of, of culture and you and you can and it aligns by class a lot of the time. So, yeah, the royal family can show us so much about almost any issue, including politics. Like that's going to be a big one now that uh, Charles is king because he has been politically active all of his life, you know, n- not in not in like I'm going to go on vote way because he can't. But he's advocated for climate change. Um, there was a scandal I think it was in the 90s there was a scandal where papers that he had written they were called the spider papers he, like he had written like to to politicians and expressed opinions about political things and they hit the newspapers so what is his role going to be and what's his role with the government going to be like is is it going to be awkward is it not so yeah i i could keep going on and on about this but it's classism racism uh xenophobia all all of these things you can see and through the lens of the royal family. And that is honestly exactly what I want to be talking about in this episode. Meghan Markle and the gendered, racialized hate, harassment, and disinformation campaigns that we know surround her. And again, it's not really about Meghan Markle. To me, it's really about how easy it is for a relatively small number of people. Um, I would usually call them bad actors, but somebody left a review on the podcast saying that this podcast could be a drinking game every time I use the term bad actors. And that reviewer was, Correct. I do say it a lot. It's like so a holdover. So what? Drinking games are fun. <laughs> yeah, you would, be, you would be blackout drunk if you took a shot every time I say it. But it's just because it's like the term that we use in like I disinformation said, studies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But these people are able to completely hijack the conversation around this specific person. And like 
as someone who is just a casual observer of the royals, like I don't, I'm not a, a, a hyper focused person who is like obsessed with them. You know, I liked it when Meghan Markle was introduced. Like I liked the idea of like, oh, black princess, even though you know, Duchess, not a princess. I know. I, I do think it's a. <laughs> I know, right? Like <laughs> I'm, still, we're gonna call her a cool. black princess. It's well, still saying, cool. So te- technically, technically, uh, even if she lost Duchess of Sussex, her title would be Princess Henry. Oh, shit. There we go. Yeah. And for those so, who don't know, Henry is Prince Harry. That's his actual name. Um, it's yes. confusing. Yeah. yeah. Princess Henry. Uh, yeah. Prin- Prince Henry. But Princess yeah. Henry would be her name. Black princess. There we go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think it's really it's a great example of the way that these the small, dedicated number of people is able to completely dominate and hijack the conversation and traffic in racism, sexism and have that be, like, a relatively lucrative enterprise, right? And then we see this sort of, like, take off with different targets. And so I've actually heard this referred to as an anti-fandom, which I had never heard before doing the research for this episode. But it's, like, exactly what you think of it as, right? Like, people who are really, really dedicated the same way that a fandom is, but in the opposite direction, an mm. anti-fandom. They are really, really dedicated to hating a single person. Can I can I jump in right quick and say, please? I sent you that article. It's a Refinery29 article. You really, everybody, if this makes it into the podcast, you really should read it. It's one of the best pieces about the anti-Meghan Markle uh, just sort of campaign on the internet out there. It's a great piece. We'll definitely link it in the show notes. It really, it really kind of opened my eyes to the way that this is not just people, like everybody has a celebrity or someone that they don't like that like rubs them the wrong way. Not everybody dedicates so much of their time, energy, and effort into their hatred of that person, bonding, like forming these social bonds through that hatred with other people, coordinating with other people who hate that person. Like there is a pretty big difference between, you know, I don't really care for such and such. And the level of dedicated commitment that this anti-fandom has to hating this one person. Like, that article really makes it clear what we're dealing with. So we'll definitely link it in the show notes. Yeah, and it's not—so the thing that's a little weird about this is some of these people are only— they're only paying lip service to being royal family fans. Like, uh, there are some people uh, who—like, I call them royalist accounts. uh, Sussex, people who do not like the royal family, call them derangers. Like, there are some people who really like the royal family and will make, I would say, like, reasonable criticism of Harry and Meghan. But then there are some of these anti-Meghan accounts don't care about the royal family. They just they just care about trashing Meghan. And yeah, maybe they'll post a picture of the queen um, a few times, you know, a, a picture from her funeral. But the, their main thing is posting negative stuff about Meghan. Which is weird. Yeah, It's so weird. And I think it really points something else out that I'm always saying on this show, which is that you talked about how some people maybe are interested in, you know, reasonable criticism or conversation about the royals, but that when when you have these hate campaigns, the people who are interested in thoughtful, reasonable criticism and conversation are completely drowned out. And you have these people who, like, don't even really care about the royals dominating the conversation who are only interested in trafficking in hate. Like, that's what they're interested in. So that I, that's that's really, really funny you said that because um, that that's my line. And for a while, there was a time when I would interact with some of these accounts because, like, my thing is engaging in good faith. I, I, I believe in good faith journalism. I think that the world is better when you can go to somebody who disagrees with you and both of you enter into that disagreement in good faith, coming from a place of, I believe one thing, you believe the other. Let's let's try to figure out if there's common ground. 
not coming from a place of, I'm never going to change my mind. I'm sea lioning. I am, but actually, I'm, you know, I am never, ever, ever going to even attempt to see your point of view. And that's what these people do. And uh, hilariously, that has gotten me a nickname in the anti-Megan community. I am hashtag good faith Ellie. <laughs> First of all, hot. Second of all, hot. <laughs> As someone who covers this for a living, what is it like the way that people who are so entrenched and so dug into, like, nothing will ever convince me that Meghan Markle is not a narcissist, liar, this, that. What is it like to have them personally come after you for really just reporting the truth and, like, wa- wanting to amplify good faith conversations based in honesty? I'm not going to lie. When it first started getting pretty, pretty bad, like my therapist and I had to talk about it. But the main thing here is that it's not about me. I am an extension of how they feel about certain people. Because like, it's not just, uh, you know, oh, you write about Megan or oh, you write about the royal family. It's like people genuinely believe or say they believe that like I'm being paid by Harry and Megan mm. for the work that I do. And it's like, no, Buzz, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed News are the only people who who write my paychecks. But at a certain point, you you do start feeling like you're going a little bit insane because you're ha- you, I have people in my inbox who are telling me that Megan wore a moon bump to fake both of her pregnancies and she had a surrogate. I have people, uh, you know, saying that she was associated with Jeffrey Epstein and like she was on Epstein's island or that she was a yacht girl. And these people believe it. They they don't they don't only believe it. They're posting online so that they can get other people to believe it. And, you know, it feels Trumpian in a way that it, when all that started happening, that was a very it was sort of like looking into a mirror of you know the politics side of it instead of the royal side of it, because you can't reason with some of these people. They are they are convinced that it's true. Yeah, I definitely see the QAnon influence in, in, in that type of rhetoric in the uh, I'm going to take something, I'm going to run with it and I'm going to try to force it on people. And then that and, and and like to something where you say it to somebody who's not fully involved with the topic and you say it to them and they're like, what are you a moon bump? What are you talking about? But they believe it. They believe it. They really believe it. That's the thing. That's the thing that uh, that I'm like, no, they they wholeheartedly believe what they're saying is true. And the thing that makes it difficult and is that that poisons all of the discourse, when you have Mm -hmm. that group of people, it poisons all of the conversations about the royal family online. And this even includes within, um, you know, Megan's online supporters who call themselves the Sussex Squad, because there's so much horribleness (laughs) coming and and irrational and crazy conspiracy theory irrationalness coming from the anti-Megan side, their knee-jerk response is to be defensive to everything. And, and, you know, not accept any criticism of Meghan Harry. Like every, you can criticize everybody. And, and even like Meghan said this in in uh, the interview she did in South Africa. She said, you know, as long as the criticism's fair, Harry and I don't care about it, but it has to be fair. And when you're at a point where certain people are defending Meghan from allegations that are racist and are sexist, you can't have discourse because exactly. no one, no one's ever going to, no one will ever meet in the middle about this because there's just too much nonsense flying around the internet and there's so much bad faith. You say bad actors, I say bad faith. I can understand and have gotten caught up in it myself 
the, the feeling like you need to take a side to defend somebody who is being unfairly attacked against criticisms that are nonsense, right? Like, I feel it a lot with Kamala Harris. I'm no big fan of Kamala Harris. I don't think that she deserves to be, like, facing racist, sexist swipes or things like that. And so you feel like you need to take a side because you see somebody being so unfairly attacked that you're like, well, obviously I have to defend them. And that's not good discourse. That doesn't that doesn't create the conditions for people to have actual truth-based criticisms. And actually, somebody who didn't like Meghan Markle or didn't like Kamala Harris should actually want to have a climate where people can have substantive, critical conversations about there are issues with that person, right? Like when you have a, a dynamic where one side is drumming up false, racist, conspiracy theory-laden nonsense and another side is just like defending them, nobody is actually having the like actual thoughtful conversation based in reality about the pros and cons of this person or how they present or what they do and say. No, and it's also like you attacked me, so I'll attack back. If you, uh, this is... I hate how Twitter uh, set, tells you like the things that it thinks you're interested in that are trending, but it's helpful for me because I follow royal stuff. Like you will see people on Sussex side, like amplifying rumors about uh, William and Kate. There has long been a, uh, cons- I'll, I'll say conspiracy theory, um, but who, who really knows? There's long been a theory out there that William cheated on Kate. And that is like, there's, there's, we haven't seen any real like evidence of the, of this, but like that is accepted as truth by the other side. So when you have these things that are conspiracy theories and that are accepted as truth, it goes both ways. And no one, like, like we just said, no one can meet in the middle. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Prince Andrew like a known sexual abuser? Like, yes. Yeah. Couldn't we all just like join forces and be like, let's, if we're going to call anybody That's out. the thing that like, like as somebody who has, you know, covered that side of it and like really learned a lot about this it's like why is that not the conversation every single day why is that not the thing that the that the like that that is going on why do they not why do they not care why is that not the thing why are they focusing on this 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 woman from LA who wears tall Uggs like why do they give a fuck (laughs) like that's the thing that blows my mind I'm like you have somebody who was involved with Jeffrey Epstein who is a prince Ellie, help me. Help yeah, me. <laughs> so as far as far as that goes, I think that, you know, one part of it off the bat that um, everyone would say is just that, like, he's done, especially since Charles is king now, like he is done. Um, he for some reason, he still had an office in Buckingham Palace for the past few years. Really? As soon as, as, soon as the queen died, Charles shut that shit down. <laughs> it's you know, so it's, it's very clear, like he's never going to come back to public life. And he's just going to be a family member for the rest of his life. And I feel like that's a closed book now for some people, because like, what yeah. else are you you're going to do? Like there's there are no there are no new lawsuits coming forth. But the problem is the comparisons that start happening, uh, because you look at Harry and you look at Andrew, they both step back in public life for two very different reasons. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I want to be clear that I'm not, in this episode, I'm not trying to make anyone feel any kind of way about Meghan and Harry, right? People can think whatever they want to think about them, totally fine. But there's a very clear difference in being like, oh, I don't care for her podcast or whatever, and a engaging in a sophisticated, coordinated disinformation campaign against her that it really traffics in these sexist, racist stereotypes and conspiracy theories and profiting off of it. So I want to get into a little bit about how we know that this these campaigns work, which I know we saw a little bit of on their recent Netflix documentary. Yeah, uh, Bridget, I, do you remember like in, I think it was in December where I texted you and I was like, I was like, ah, yeah, I think we have to talk about this. And you're like, do I have to watch it? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was, it seems like really boring. And I was like, there's an entire episode that focuses on like, single-use hate accounts and, like, goes into the targeted... And, like, that side of it... Like, they could have done an entire series on that. Like, everything everything else is not relevant, really, to this podcast. But that thing... Okay. I haven't said this publicly yet, so you guys will, you know, don't don't. Breaking news. Breaking a little news. If this makes makes it in, I I feel like they won't kill me. Um, I was interviewed for the, the documentary and Ooh. didn't make it into the final cut. Ooh, what did, what did, what was your spicy commentary? Tell us. It, it was, well, it, the, only, the only reason I'm saying this was because it was about this. It was about this, this sort of internet thing. So I was, uh, yeah, that was, that was last February. Um, and I didn't know it was for their documentary until like October. So I know that you've done a lot of great coverage on Christopher Boozy's report. If you don't know who Christopher Boozy is, he runs Bot Sentinel, which is an organization that analyzes Twitter data. And his analysis shows that a lot of this hate that's been thrown at Megan has been driven by 
I, I would say a lot fewer accounts than folks might suspect. In fact, just a few accounts have been able to artificially influence the conversation around Megan on social media. He found that only 83 accounts generate 70% of Meghan Markle hate content on Twitter. And they estimate that a combi- they have a combined unique potential reach of 17 million users, um, which, again, like, to me, that only a handful of, a- of accounts would be able to so effectively dominate and shape the conversation about one person is kind of wild to me. This is probably like one of uh, the it's one of the few data driven stories that um, I've reported on in my career. But the numbers shocked me. So what happened here was I had been following Bot Sentinel uh, for a while because mm-hmm. um, I, I've done misinformation reporting. And my I know some of my colleagues had quoted from them before for, for about cl- a climate change story or something like that. So like. Christopher Boozy and Botson known in the inf- misinformation industry. And he tweeted something about, I can't even remember what it was. He, he made some comment about Meghan and Harry. And all of a sudden his replies were swarmed with these people because that's what happens. If you say something nice about Meghan and Harry, at some point people will come and start swarming your replies, particularly if you're a verified account. And it got nasty. Like somebody made some comment about his mother who had died of COVID. Oh my God. Yeah. And, be, you know, because of that, he's like, what's going on here? Like, what is this? This who are these people who have all of a sudden started coming for me? I'm going to look into them. So he ran hashtag analysis. Well, he in Botson ran like hashtag analyses with uh, different. I, I, I could pull it up, but I don't know where it is on my computer with uh, different um, like hashtags and words in there looking for all of the tweets about Harry and Meghan that, you know, in one period of time. And then they went through those numbers and started looking at the accounts that tweeted the most, the accounts that were the most in- influential. Like uh, he sent all of the data to me <laughs> so that I could t- check it myself. And our data reporters looked at it and they're like, yeah, that's cool. This is this is obviously legit. But um, part of if you're active on Royal Twitter, you start seeing the same accounts in your mentions. For me, I see them and then I mute them. And I had always suspected that there were there were people who were very, very active and basically like doing this with all of their free time. But seeing that small number was really shocking to me. And I remember a royal commentator who I actually I I respect her a whole bunch. I don't agree with her all the time, but I really respect her. She's a PR person who does really good analysis of Harry and Meghan and the royal family from her point of view in media relations. But she said, like, why is this a big deal? You'll always find haters for for people online. And it was like, the big deal is the 70 percent. Mm-hmm. Because that's not organic. You can't just say that there are all these people on Twitter who hate Meghan and Harry. And yeah, I'm sure I follow some people who don't like Meghan and Harry who, you know, are are other reporters, you know, people in the industry or, uh, you know, a few people I follow from college are tired of Harry and Meghan, but they'll do one tweet and then they will go back to their lives. Right. They will not just keep going with this stream of negativity and, you know, every everything like peeps, there's there's someone whose thing is posting racist cartoons Mm. of Meghan and Harry and perpetuating all of these conspiracy theories and stereotypes and just trying to get them out to as many people as possible. Like, that's the thing. I would actually, you should try this out, Bridget. Um, 
as an experiment, like tweet something positive about Megan Hare and see what happens to your mentions. Because oh, I've done it. Oh it's no, you, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a there's a podcaster. I think her name is Kate Kennedy. She hosts the podcast Be There in Five. She has this like huge thriving Facebook community. And that she said, like, I have to go private because I've made an episode about Meghan and Harry, and I know that it's going to be bot, bot swarm city. And so she has to go private when she does that. Like, it, And I think that, like, something that you said about when how they give you cruel nicknames and, like, are shitty to you personally, I think it's a silencing tactic. So that, like, everyone who has something positive or even not even positive, just accurate to say about, about this person that they hate will know that doing so will come at a personal cost. Like, if you're going to tweet something positive about Meghan and Harry, is it worth the kind of thing that, the kind of folks who are going to be in your mentions, you know, getting on you for it? Like, I think it's a, a very clear silencing tactic to shut down the discourse that they don't want to happen. So two things there. You, you said that your friend was talking about bots. That's the thing. The people here and the people who drive us, they're not bots. They're not. This isn't a situation where some PR firm in Los Angeles or London has bought up a bunch of accounts just, you know, to share stories about the royal family or say a few things. These are people. These are people who devote time to posting this negative content. Christopher Boozy coined the term single purpose hate account for this for this sort of thing. And I think it's a great phrase and it can be applied, you know, in, in any fandom you see. But like, they're not bots. These are actual people. You can really see the silencing aspect um, in everything that happens to a UK reporter who is, I, yeah, I, would, I would call him an internet friend. We've met in person a few times. But Omid Scobie, he wrote the book Finding Freedom, which we now know Harry and Meghan like, told their press person to send him information and stuff. So, but I, I know that other royal reporters... Omid Scobie and uh, a few others have like gotten death threats mm. Mm. and mm. I've gotten, I've gotten d- death threats. Um, our security team had to check into that for me, but people don't want anything to disrupt their narrative. Yeah. And it has, like, it's like nothing to do with you, but if you're out there and you are trying to spread the truth, which is not what they believe, you know, it can get dicey. Jesus. Should we get into some of uh, Christopher Buzzi, who who runs the Bot Sentinels research, some of the sure. data, some of that report? I know that Ellie's covered it a bunch, too. The data is is really fascinating to me. So to break it down, of those 83 accounts, they identified 55 single-purpose anti-Meghan Markle hate accounts that he says they sort of function as the primary hate accounts, and then 28 secondary hate accounts that basically amplified anti-Meghan Markle content from those earlier 55 accounts. So basically, once a primary account tweets something, those 28 secondary accounts would then quickly boost that content, i.e. coordination. And now to be clear, like, as you said, these are these are not bots. These are like real people. And these tactics violate Twitter's rules. Twitter has rules against coordination and things like that. So how are they able to avoid detection? Well, his report found that things like pairing negative comments about Meghan and Harry with positive contents about other royals and in an attempt to sort of evade detection. So it's like, oh, we're not a hate account. We're just a Royals account. But it's all going to be mostly anti-Meghan Markle. Sprinkle in a few other uh, other tweets for, for plausible deniability. Um, temporarily deactivating their account so that they won't be suspended, only to reactivate later, which is pretty clever, I would say. Putting parody in their profiles, even though their account like really is not a parody account. And then using coded or 
like coded or dog whistle racist and sexist language. And so this is something that as someone who has done a lot of work in the myths and disinformation space, really just burns my beans how people will, it's so obvious what they're saying and what the, what the, sub, like what, the, what they're trying to say, but they'll thinly veil it in a way that you know is meant to avoid detection and to have that plausible deniability. So it's like, like what did I say that was racist or sexist? I just evoked some really common racist or sexist trope. An example of the sort of things that people say that that is encoded language, but definitely uh, is is based in racism, massage noir, is that Megan is a violent person with a bad temper. So whenever anything happens that's good, mostly like good for William and Kate, you'll see all of these tweets and YouTube videos being like, Megan must be throwing dishes in Montecito. Or like, we can hear the angry screams from, they they live in Montecito. So like, we can hear the angry screams from Montecito now. Like, Harry better duck. Megan's throwing punches because she's so angry. And I mean, like, that's the angry black woman trope. That's Mm -hmm. not, you're not even trying that hard. Like barely a dog whistle. Yeah. So you mentioned Twitter. This is the this is the thing. And this is why, like, people who hate Megan Harry always like, oh, this report is inaccurate. No, sorry, it is. Twitter has very they have their own standards about what they consider to be coordination. And an interesting thing that is in another a later report done by Bot Sentinel and Christopher Boozy uh, is evidence from like the early days of anti Megan Twitter, where people were organizing in a chat from a program called MeWe which I had never heard of until like all, all of the investigation to this started going on. But I spent about like five hours going through their archives and you can see people in there talking about like, I'm going to tweet this or, oh, Paris Hilton retweeted me. Guys, let's try to get this hashtag trending. And I'm sure they have a new way that's not me, we, that, uh, that they, you know, use now for that kind of thing. But what what uh, you said burns my beans. I like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what really burns my beans uh, about Twitter's response to this was they put out a statement like we only got rid of like three of the accounts that we saw for violations. And then like in the next week, they started just shutting all of them down. And they and I asked them like, hey, can I get a new statement from you, please? Because you've shut down like 10 of these accounts and you told other media outlets that our report wasn't correct. So that's been super fun. But if you look at the accounts that were in that were labeled in that first report for a while, a lot of them went away. And then Elon Musk bought Twitter. And now many of them are back again with their same handles. So they basically were banned by Twitter. Elon came, brought them back because these, these is, this is the kind of discourse that will make Twitter a, a better place, a more thoughtful place, a place where it's like, I, I hate that. And I think like, Something that I also want to mention is that Twitter's algorithm eventually was amplifying this hateful content. According to the report, researchers used Twitter accounts without friends or followers during the research and after viewing two hate accounts. And then Twitter's algorithm began suggesting numerous hate accounts for them to follow. On multiple occasions, Twitter recommended that they follow these hate accounts. Oh, it still still happens to me. Like, it it, it still happens to me. I, um... There are always new accounts popping up. My, I don't. I don't like to block because then it gives people the satisfaction of knowing mm, that they've been blocked. And mute. like, I don't want. So yeah, I mute. But if a new account pops up in my mentions, like trashing on me, and I'll I'll look at it and I'll go, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm muting you. It will recommend to me to follow other accounts of people who are attacking me in my mentions, and it's like that. The, the algorithm shouldn't work that way. You shouldn't try to be encouraging abuse. Yeah, and I think that it's like what you said about Twitter 
do like getting rid of those accounts quietly, like denying your report publicly and then quietly being like, okay, actually this is a problem and we need to do something. I think it really speaks to, I, I don't know. I guess sometimes I, I don't want to use the term bad actor, but sometimes I <laughs> think that these, the people running platforms are not running platforms in a way that I think encourages, like, it's not responsible. Like that's not a, res- like somebody who is interested in having a platform that fosters thoughtful conversation and discourse would not behave that way. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and uh, Twitter is definitely the platform where, I don't like to use the word powerful, but Twitter is definitely the platform where these accounts and, uh, you know, the crazy anti-Harry and Meghan people have the most power. Mm-hmm. Because, and this was this was uh, another publication by Bot Sentinel looking at these accounts. What that looked at was official, I say official, but like this means they write for a paper, they get on TV as royal commentators, like royal reporters and commentators. Some of them interact with these accounts, but what's more, some of these accounts purposefully target these people. And, 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 you know, like one of, I I remember when, when this came out, like one of the ladies who was listed in it was like, what's like, I don't believe these conspiracy theories. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, we're not saying that. We're just saying, like, look at all the people who are tweeting at you, trying to get you to believe this thing. And in one particular case that that this person is still on the air, her name is Angela Levin, but the report, like, showed with screenshots how a conspiracy theory started on Twitter from one of these accounts, and she said it on TV, like, while she was commenting. Wow. You know, that's the sort of thing. If they're all talking to each other on Tumblr, you know, okay, not great, but it's at least it's insulated. On Twitter, anyone can see it. It can go anywhere and anyone can believe it. I think that's exactly why we see Twitter being this battleground for power and like, quote, culture wars and ideology, because so many journalists and media makers and editors are on Twitter every day. Like, we're probably way too fucking much, to be honest with you, but you can really... Like a dedicated, dedicated people on Twitter can make things into news. And we've seen that happen for good with things like Black Lives Matter and Me Too. But that power for good could also be weaponized and used for evil and used to legitimize things that are just not true, like harmful conspiracy theories. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened here. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it is the word battleground is is definitely what it is because there are two very distinct separate sides and everyone is trying to control the narrative, control the hashtags. And I, you know, since I spend a lot of time in in that Twitter world because of my reporting, it's always funny to me when it like breaks out and like real people are seeing these things. I can't tell you how many of my colleagues have read some of my stories about all this and they've just gone like, Ellie, how is this real? Like, how do people care this much? Like, what, what is, what's, what's going on here? And I have no answer for them because I've been in the world too much that like, okay, yeah, you know, it, it, it makes sense that Meghan Markle's half-sister Samantha Markle is engaging with uh, these Twitter accounts and she's been feeding information to the worst anti-Meghan YouTube channel for years, you know? Everyone knows this. I've just, you know, I finally laid it all out. And then the story goes up and people are like, this is batshit insane. <laughs> I know it's one of those things where when I talk about it, the reality of what's happening, I feel like I sound like um, Charlie from Always Sunny, like the, yeah. with the, the cork board, like there is no Pepe Silva. Like, 
how deep this thing goes, how coordinated it is. It is... People who are not as online as we probably are, it would, it would sound like the, the, the rantings of somebody who is not well. But it's true. Can I, I tell you something? I was interviewed for... I was interviewed on the BBC the second... like Because Harry and Meghan's Netflix show dropped in two parts. They had like one part one week and then another part the second week. Second week, uh, BBC World reached out and they're like, can we interview you, get an American perspective on uh, Harry and Meghan? Because I woke up at 2.30, so I could watch it when it came <laughs> out. So I was ready and raring to go if anybody wanted to talk to me. And my mom wanted to see it. So she went to YouTube and searched my name. And you know what happens if you search my name? You see videos from these people. You oh, see no. videos attacking, mm. uh, you know, attacking me. And she was, she was, she called me. She's like, I didn't know it was this bad. I didn't know that there are people who care this much that they're making YouTube videos attacking you. So my mom's eyes were open to this world mm. recently. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so like, and you're just doing your job. It's not yeah. like you're, it's not like 100%. you're just doing your job. Yeah. 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 But um, as any royal reporter will tell you, it's not, this is part of the job now. It's become so fierce. It's become so divided that if you write about the royal family, like, this is what you are getting yourself into now. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Do you see this as a relatively new phenomenon? Like, when Trump got into office, I do think that conspiracy theories and this kind of dedicated online disinformation and harassment campaigns became much more commonplace in our discourse. Do you see this as a new phenomenon where being a royal reporter in the 90s, death threats and hate videos about yourself perhaps would not have been part of the job the same way it is now? 100%. So no one can believe me when I say this, but um, royal Twitter used to be a kind of weird, but overall nice place. This was back in, you know, 2013. I remember because I started, I first got into royal Twitter when Prince George was born. And, you know, there, there would be some, some people who didn't like Kate Middleton. There have always been people who don't like her. And, you know, that, that's cool. You do you. But there wouldn't be this overwhelming tide of negativity. I never saw any accounts that their sole purpose was to denigrate Kate. I saw a few people say some things about her, but nothing, you know, nothing like what you see for Megan. And it stayed that way for a long time. And honestly, it was when Megan entered the scene that it this became more and more and more divisive. And uh, I said this when we were talking earlier, Bridget, but... Um, you know, some of these accounts started posting anti-Megan stuff before the wedding. Like, it, the seeds were there, and they were sown, you know, before Megan had really even entered the public life, the public sphere. In those early days of her being on the scene, so much of it was kind of reaching. Like, oh, she's a, an actor. That means that she is a phony or a narcissist. Like, Some of them were really, really reaching just to have a reason to hate this person that we really didn't even know that much about yet. Yeah. And obviously a lot of it was racialized. You know, we we had everyone knows these. We had the Daily Mail headline, uh, Harry's girl is straight out of Compton. Mm. We had uh, we had a columnist writing about her exotic DNA, just lots of stuff like that. And Prince Harry even issued a statement about that, saying that, like, the racist abuse on social media and the racist like vibes is the wrong word, but like the the undertones of some of the coverage, like every we all we all need to stop that. It does seem very racialized that like as soon as she came on the scene, people were really reaching to find any reason to hate her. And I think to your point about how it's so racially coded, that's one of the things that I really struggle with because, you know, you just know like that headline straight out of Compton or. When she was pregnant, like, oh, what, what's Archie's skin tone going to be like? Mm. Sometimes, you know, as a Black woman, you know when someone is saying something that is racialized. They might not be, they, they might not be coming out and calling you a slur or, like, you know, doing it in such an explicit way. But you can, you can feel when someone is trafficking in massage noir or racism against you. And I think what's hard is that we have been so trained as a society to, to not talk about it openly to ignore it and not speak up about it. And so you just have to kind of, I think it creates a climate where it becomes normalized at, normalized as discourse, as legitimate discourse, when it really shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, you can, 
Megan marrying into the royal family and then everything that happened afterwards really prompted, I think, a, a can we say long overdue, uh, but sort of discussion about race in, in the UK in particular, but also just across the board because, uh, you know, what is the difference between two women who married into the royal family? You have Megan and you have Kate and you, in many cases, it's like, don't even look at their behavior. Just look at what they're wearing mm-hmm. or, you know, that, that, that they're pregnant. And you will see, you know, these, these little differences that don't make sense. You wrote that, that viral piece about the, like comparing the way that the press covers when Megan does something and when another royal does the exact same thing, like holding hands, for instance, in public. When Megan and Harry held hands, people were like, oh, they can't even keep their hands off of each other. It's disgusting. It's so disrespectful, this and that. And then another royal doing the exact same thing. And it give, and, and not having that kind of coverage is just like, okay, they, they're holding hands. And it makes it clear that this kind of hyper-focus that Megan is under, right, that is just only seemingly reserved for her. And yeah, like, as I said, as a person of color, I I know that when that kind of extra scrutiny on every little thing, every little move you make is reserved just for you, you know it's racialized. You can feel it. You're not supposed to talk about it openly, but you know it. And the not talking about it openly and not talking about it publicly, like, that's been the real thing because you have all of these people, um, you know, all these people online, uh, people who recognize what's going on, like you, Bridget, and you're talking to a, a bunch of people. And in this case, a lot of people in the media who are writing these headlines and are talking to these people in the palace and, you know, getting these headlines and getting these stories out, they they don't see it. And not only that people who write the headlines, but the people who are making decisions at tech platforms like Twitter and YouTube. Um, One of the things that I know that you have reported on that still just kind of blows my mind is that we've talked a lot about Twitter in this episode, but Bot Sentinel also looked at YouTube accounts and found that this is big business, right? Trashing Meghan Markle and lying about her is lucrative. They found that 25 YouTube channels earned around $3.5 from ad revenue, according to a data analysis agency, and that Three of the most successful anti-Meghan Markle hate accounts generated almost half a million dollars during their existence. And basically, they just filmed these low-quality racist videos full of inaccuracies and baseless conspiracies about how she, you know, faked her pregnancy or used a, a a, a moon bump or whatever to, like, fake a pregnancy. What does it tell you about our media ecosystem that you can make half a million dollars just spreading low quality, not even high quality, sophisticated racist lies, but low quality racist lies about one person. I mean, so we saw, and obviously this is a very, very different case, but we saw with uh, Johnny Depp and, and Amber Heard how content, you know, either micro-analyzing Amber Heard and trashing her, like, and this is, like, we can just, uh, let's keep this a judgment-free zone. Like, the, the, there weren't videos looking at what Johnny said that went viral. There weren't people, like, analyzing his test, there, yeah, videos where people were analyzing his testimony that went viral. It was Amber, like, on TikTok, on YouTube, videos attacking her, making fun of her. They did really, really well. And the thing with Megan is that, you know, and obviously similar to Amber, but when it comes to YouTube videos about Megan, there is an audience. Mm. And that's, that's the thing that was crazy to me when I first started looking into this, because I I actually, well, 
the biggest YouTube account that had been around for a long time, Yankee Wally, was a Welsh pensioner who literally would pull up her phone and talk to her phone and scroll through and like find pictures and, and, and talk about that and then upload everything. For years, she was spreading these conspiracy theories. She was attacking the royal family, attacking Harry and Meghan and making money, like making serious money. Like she she has come back online and, and like she's very unhappy that her YouTube channel is no more. It got it got shut down. But uh, the funny thing was, I believe it didn't get shut down because of anything she said about Harry and Meghan, thanks to YouTube's rules. I believe the reason it got shut down was because of attacks she made on um, Ombud Scobie, the reporter that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Be- because, and this is this is why YouTube can, can get away with it. YouTube has very specific rules about what counts as harassment and what counts as hate speech. If you, in order for it to count as that, in order for it to, you know, get you either kicked off or get your videos taken down, you need to attack an intrinsic attribute of someone. So like there are, there is a specific, there are specific things that you have to attack. And if you attack anything else, okay, that's fine. Like, or, or you spread conspiracy theories, that's fine. So uh, some of these are like race, gender, sexual orientation, but it, a lot of it is racialized, but it's not someone saying out loud, you know, Megan, we don't like Megan because she's black. It, it is, Megan is super angry or Megan is classless. You know, Megan is Megan is very low class or uh, I, I've heard you haven't lived until you've heard, you know, like a British person say ratchet to describe <laughs> Megan. Like, I, I didn't even know they had that word in the UK. Yeah, the commentary, too, in terms of her dad online has been. Yeah, it's 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 deeply disturbing to me. One of the things I learned from watching the Netflix thing, I didn't realize that she had like a good relationship with her dad before all this happened. I, oh, I just yeah. I didn't think I, I mean, I, I guess I didn't look into it hard enough, but I didn't realize until I watched this documentary that it's like, no, they had like a really good relationship when she was growing up. They had a good relationship up until he was approached by the press. Yes, Ellie, to fill, fill us in. I can answer that because I wrote a big story about this. So specifically... They had a, a, they were talking to each other, had a good relationship. He even talked to Harry on the phone uh, after they were engaged and everything was good until a paparazzi photographer approached him at his home in Mexico, this like little, little house he was living in in Mexico and said, Hey, why don't I take some photos of you getting ready for the wedding that we can get out there? Because there had been a lot of bad press about, you know, so what happens when anybody famous pops up? They go look at your family. They're going to find absolutely everything, any black sheep and, and all this stuff. So the photographer kind of convinced him to get some good press. So these photos were published of like him being measured for a suit or him looking at a picture of Harry and Meghan on a computer. Yeah, just they, stuff like that. they showed that goofy shit in the documentary. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. And they, those photos went everywhere. Like, I... I People don't talk to me about before doing rural stuff on BuzzFeed, but I really wish they would. Like BuzzFeed did a story about that, like featuring those photos. And, you know, people accept it as legit. And then the week before the wedding, the mail on Sunday, which is British media is so weird. So there's the Daily Mail. The Sunday edition is a completely different staff. Like the mail on Sunday is different from the Daily Mail. Mm. And it's a little more it's a little more prestigious. But right before the wedding, the mail on Sunday published a story showing that Thomas Markle had been working with the paparazzi 
And I believe it alluded that he had shared the profits, that the paparazzi and Thomas Markle had split the profits for that. That was where the relationship broke down. But it didn't even like completely break down then. Meghan and Harry were still trying to get him over for the wedding. And then he had a heart attack. And he said confusing things about that period. So like no one, was it a heart attack? Was he too embarrassed to go? Was it a little bit of both? Maybe. Um, But the fact he lied to Meghan initially about collaborating with the paparazzi destroyed their relationship. But before that, they like they were good. They were close. Megan used to have a lifestyle blog called The Tig. Mm-hmm. And she she she's wrote like very beautiful Father's Day posts about him and all the support that he'd given her throughout his life. And even with um, you know, her half-sister Samantha Markle, that's something that she says all the time when someone puts a microphone in her face, that like Megan was her, their father's favorite. She was his little baby. And Watching the the public watching the public narrative about this, you know, when it comes to Markle, if you like Meghan and Harry, you're like, no, this is classic abusive behavior. Like you are speaking to the media and you are saying all of this because you want attention from the person you and want money. to be acknowledged and and money. But everybody else is like, how dare Meghan abandon her father? Like he's he's so ill. He just had a stroke. He hasn't met his grandchildren, and you know you you don't see any of the logical reasons why she wouldn't want to do this based on whether or not you like Harry or Meghan. And that's what most of it comes down to. And I also think, like, I think that for people of color, women of color, I think the subtext is that we are not allowed to have complex relationships with our families, even though every family is complicated. People have complicated relationships, like layered, complicated, complex relationships with their parents all the time. That is commonplace. But... When Megan has it, it's something, you know, she abandoned her dad, this and that. Like, you know, as I said, I don't really follow the royals that closely. I dip into the news here and there. And I think this is a good example of how they target people who are perhaps low information on the issue. You know, casual observers to effectively create a narrative. Because I assumed that that media narrative that we hear is correct. You know, that Megan cut off her poor sick father. But had I read your reporting a little more closely, I would know that's not really the case. And I think this is really meant to target folks who are just casual observers because they know that they can get those folks to believe something about Meghan Markle that just isn't true. Yeah, I mean, that you you see not, not so much uh, anymore, but like Thomas Markle may, has made appearances on UK TV. Like he, for, he, he was interviewed by Piers Morgan more than once. Like oh, on Good Morning don't Britain. Can't stand that guy. Don't even, don't even get me started. Yeah, sorry, sorry for bringing up that name. <laughs> but yeah, and you know that's morning TV. And if you, you're you are taking this person who is obviously a toxic figure in Megan's life, and and let's just use the word problematic, and amplifying everything that he's saying. Well, some people who don't follow the royals very you know that closely, that's the narrative they're going to start believing instead of looking to see like, well, wait, what did he do? Like, there has to be a reason here, right? There are valid reasons to not like Harry and Meghan, but no one, that's like, we're not talking about that in this podcast because that's such a, that's minority of people who behave rationally. But anyway, the thing that, that came out here was uh, that her press secretary at the time had coordinated with the authors of the book, Finding Freedom to give information to him. Like Harry and Meghan knew that their press person was going to go talk to the uh, reporters who were writing this long book. 
And it, everyone always knew that like finding freedom was going to be Harry and Meghan's side of the story, but no one I think ever expected to to see how how much of their their hands were in it, like that there were emails exchanged about what to tell these reporters. Right. So Megan ended up like basically apologizing to the court saying like, I completely forgot about this one email exchange. And if you saw in the documentary, you, you know, you know, that part in the documentary where Megan goes, he's your brother. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, that's, that's, that's this, that's what they're talking about because the, uh, the, the press person who submitted during the appeal, the press person, um, former press person for Harry and Meghan gave them like all these emails, gave the daily emails, gave the court, let's just say gave the court, gave the court all of these emails. And um, it, you you see the fallout from that in the documentary because Harry and Meghan are talking and they're talking about the fact that their former press person, you know, is like currently working for William. And that's your brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was like Meghan's her most authentic moment in the documentary for me, just like very obviously not in front of the cameras, just like having, having a moment. Yeah. And I think your, your point is such a good one of like, I think that people can have, people can have legitimate criticisms or takes or opinions about the coordination that they, that their team had with this book. But I, I, so like when you said, oh, there's all these legitimate reasons to to dislike them, I was like, oh yeah, I don't, I could not even begin to talk about like what those are. Like, I, I don't know because what I, what dominates the conversation are the conspiracy theories, the lies, the racism, the nonsense. And it just creates this dynamic where we don't actually get to have the conversation that we perhaps should. It's just flooded with ridiculous stuff. Lainey Gossip, Elaine Louise, she has a blog called Lainey Gossip. She made an excellent point when um, the edition of Vogue that Me- Megan Guest edited came out that I think about I think about her, uh, her point all the time. She said, like, we could talk about the fact that Megan is using really flowery language. And like some of the stuff she's saying about, I think it was like children of the moon or something. She was using what we consider to, to be like hippie, kind of hippie mm-hmm. California language. Lainey said, you know, I would love to talk about this, like, th- but you can't because of all of the racist, sexist, xenophobic stuff that's dominating the conversation. Like there, there's no room for, you know, making fun of her gently for this little thing. Yeah, and I think that's by design. It, it disinformation, it's like a classic thing. It sucks, it, it sucks all the oxygen out of the room when it comes to conversations. And I would argue, like, it shuts down discourse. And so everyone's all concerned about free speech, this and that. Like, it creates a climate where people can't talk about what they want to talk about because there's just no room for it. There's no room for it, and y- you will be dealing with people who believe their own version of the truth. Like, I mean, uh, you compared it to QAnon earlier in the show. And really, that's sort of what a large portion of the royal Internet has become. Like, there are some people you will never be able to convince them that, you know, Megan was pregnant. They're, despite all, all of the evidence to the contrary, there are some people who believe that wholeheartedly. And if you say anything on the Internet like, oh, like, look at this picture of, you know, doesn't this picture of Megan's bump that she showed in the documentary look cute? They will all jump in and butt actually you and say, no, 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 she 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 faked it. It's a moon bump. Like, the idea of, like, what is the true royal story? No one can agree on it anymore. And Ellie, you were telling me how a lot of content creators who made content about the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp defamation trial have now jumped to making content about Meghan Markle. 
people who you know start making a name for themselves during the Amber Heard trial by making these videos attacking Amber Heard. Well, you know, trial's over officially now. I think like she just uh, abandoned her appeal. Mm-hmm. If I'm, yeah, I, I think I think this that's what correct. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, cool. Who are you gonna? Who are you gonna? You need to find another woman that you can attack. And, you know, that sounds a little facetious, but you look at um, Megan the Stallion, how she was covered, and you kind of wonder, at least that was a lawsuit. It makes sort of sense that people who covered uh, Amber Heard would pivot to Megan the Stallion. But then somehow they found out that if you make a video about Meghan Markle, you are going to get views. Don't, don't know how they tripped and fell into that, but you now see people who made videos, like even in some cases, like lawyers, YouTube lawyers who made videos analyzing the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard court case are making videos analyzing Harry and Meghan's documentary. Like what, 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 what qualifies you for that? But also like you, you're kind of pulling a bait and switch here, my dude. Like, right. And I think it just really shows like it's misogyny the whole way down, like misogyny sells there will always be our internet landscape in our internet landscape. There will always be a soft place for misogyny to land and be amplified. And the one, the like, do you think that this is going to be kind of going forward the new way to sort of sway public opinion and like manipulate public opinion going forward where a whole cottage industry of quote body language experts and legal experts, about, like, is, yeah. this, is this, is this the new thing? So like, the, I, I'm really glad you brought up the body language experts, because to me, you're asking, like, what's what's the direction that you can see this sort of hate going in? I think that the rise of body language experts, um, that's I would say that's probably over the past year. I've seen a few of them like get bigger and bigger. I think we're going to see a lot of that because you can make it up. Like, I don't think you're a body language expert. I think you're looking at a video of somebody and you you think Megan is a narcissist. So you're going to find something in her eyebrow or in the curve of her lip that is proof that she's a narcissist. And guess what? People who don't like her are going to believe you. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that with just with public figures in general. With uh, And, you know, so far it looks like people are really, really happy to do it to, to famous women and women of color. So... I think things like that, where the facts don't matter, where you can set yourself up as an expert, you can set yourself up as someone who knows all this background knowledge, and there will be a place on the internet where people believe you. And if there are enough people in that little place where people believe you, it's gonna get out into the it's gonna get out into the broader sphere. There will be a time when they will want to push their narrative in a very public way. Mm. I mean, in the tiniest, tiniest step in the right direction, I know that last year YouTube made a change that they de- they deranked anti-Meghan Markle results from their search. For me, that's like, I guess, the smallest step. Because if I was running a platform like YouTube, if you type in Meghan Markle or really any subject, people, the first thing, the, the, the results that are prioritized should not be from single-use hate accounts. They should not be from accounts that, have ins- that are making money from lying about this thing. For, for any topic. And so for me, like, happy to see it, we'll champion it. But it is like the smallest step that they could actually take in, in responsibly managing the platform. And, you know, the, I'm, I'm sure you, you this is a, an old, old song to sing for you, but they didn't make that change until I reach out for comment. And that's true of so many tech companies is that 
it, the onus is on reporters to find something that's bad, to find a feature that's not great, to find, you know, a community of hate accounts, to find, uh, you know, like members of the KKK and other hate groups. And the uh, tech companies are reactive. So I had reached out being like, why do I see a video claiming Meghan Markle is a narcissist when when I do a search? And then like a few days later, it was, oh, look, all of the videos when you search Meghan Markle are by verified accounts and they're all by major news sites. And, you know, that's not the way for tech companies to operate either. You know, if you want to keep your platforms free of hate, you need to look for the hate. It'll definitely be there. Yeah, anytime, like, like you, we've been in this game for a while. Pretty much anytime a tech company does something that's even the slightest step in the right direction, they didn't just like grow a heart overnight, like in the Grinch. They it was because someone like you, or like an organizer, or someone pushed them to do that. They are so reactive. It never occurs to them that you don't have to wait until you get negative PR, or until there's a crisis, or until you know someone is is asking you something to make a a, a, a responsible ethical decision about how your platform is run. Yeah. I mean, same thing. The I, I have attacked YouTube's current policy for harassment and hate speech, but they only instituted that because a right wing YouTuber was attacking um, a, a LGBTQ uh, YouTuber. And I think like the example that you always use is that he called him a lispy queer. And this guy made a video compilation of like all of the things that this right wing person had said about him and was like, YouTube. What's going on? What are he's we doing? obviously attacking. He's obviously attacking me because I am a gay man. And YouTube was like, yeah, that's fine. And then like media backlash three days later. Oh, hey, we have a new policy. Yeah, I believe in a world where it doesn't take somebody, it doesn't take the harm to make a change in the right direction. You know, that's yeah, the world I want to believe in. Yeah. And well, just another another thing with YouTube is even... Like one of the things that happens before your account goes away is it gets demonetized. So yes, YouTube can can stop you from making money off your hate, but until you cross a certain line, like you can still spew your hate all over. You can still spread these conspiracy theories. You can talk about people so that your your viewers, your listeners, will then go attack them on social media. And if I learned like the biggest thing I've learned from my work in the past year looking at, you know, hate groups online against Meghan and Harry, it's that YouTube is just a festering pool for so many different things. Like it, and it's even a community. Like people, people talk to each other in the comments and people like YouTubers encourages the company almost seems to encourage this and people can make money for hate. And it's, yeah, I mean, it was, Seeing some of these accounts that have monetized their anti-American content, I know one uh, British person who runs a channel like was able to quit her job. Wow. Like literally quit her job in order to make these videos every few days because of the amount of money she was getting from YouTube. Something is broken. Like when that is, when that is a possibility, something is very, very wrong. Ellie, I have to ask like, like, what is at stake here? Like, do, like, what is at stake? And do you think there's any hope for the truth, you know, being something that is prioritized going forward? I think that if you can't agree on what is the truth and you can't have a conversation about what is the truth and you can't have a conversation in good faith, then just the, the, the internet um, dialogue, everything, 
is going to stay broken. And the thing that these tech companies do is they let us stay in our own little groups and foster this kind of hatred and these kind of conspiracy theories. And people begin to believe that. Like when I tell you that there are people on Twitter who hate Megan, who genuinely believe that she was a prostitute before she met Harry. Some people even believe that she was Prince Andrew's prostitute before she met Prince Harry. And people who believe that she faked her pregnancies. Some people who believe that she, you know, like her children, when she's done press appearances with her children, those children are not hers. There's an elaborate conspiracy theory showing how like, I say showing, I'm, I'm doing air quotation marks when I say showing, but that, you know, the, the child of uh, like a TV anchor is actually Archie and they only bring him out for certain occasions. Or when Megan was carrying Archie in a, uh, like a front, a front baby car- carrier, like, no, that was a doll. There are people who believe this 100%. They are not kidding. And how can you have a conversation about things like, okay, Harry, Harry's biography just came out. He's saying uh, what's about to come out. Harry's biography will be coming out. We know what some of the headlines are. Wow, he's really saying a lot of stuff here. Let's have a conversation about that. You can't because the people who are going to be entering into that conversation are coming from their own world. And, you know, everyone saw this play out when it was, you know, Trump and QAnon and everything like that. And when... People have their own belief systems. And when the internet (laughs) and tech companies encourage them not to branch out and actually like help them stay in their own little bubble, it makes the online experience worse. It makes discourse worse. And, you know, and this is this is me because I'm a reporter, but it makes the news worse because people don't agree on the truth. And that should be the, the basic starting point here. Everyone agrees on the truth. If we can't even establish that, like, Megan gave birth to a child, how are we going to have any conversation about the royal family? It was Megan entering the royal family when all of this started. And, you know, was there some hate of Kate? Yes. But it didn't start getting this nasty until Megan dating Harry became public knowledge. And when you have that fact, and that is a fact, you have to ask yourself, what is it about Megan? What was it about Megan before the world even knew her? Before she had even, you know, before, I think it was, this was like, even before the engagement interview that she and Harry did. What is it about Megan? What makes her different that is going to start this festering and ever-growing, you know, bubble of hatred? Well, draw your own conclusions. That is a great place to leave it. Ellie, where can folks follow? I know you're going to have lots of takes and opinions <laughs> when uh, the memoir drops this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where can folks follow you? I am on Twitter, at least for now, uh, at Ellie, Ellie V. Hall, V is in Victor. And I report for BuzzFeed News. So you can uh, go to BuzzFeed News and search my name and see all of my stuff. And I have a royal family newsletter called The Royal Tea. Um, and if you're super into all of this stuff and just want to keep following, uh, keeping up with the, with the Windsor family, then you can subscribe to me there. Fantastic. I guess oh, I'm so bad at ending the podcast. <laughs> what else am I supposed to say? <laughs> I mean, you're solid there. Okay. I don't know. Good night and good luck. Good night and good luck. Yeah, we'll <laughs> leave it there. Internet Hate Machine is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, check out our website, coolzonemedia.com. 
or find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.